So, uh, we've talked a lot recently about being like indoorsmen and outdoorsmen, so I wanted to take the opportunity to share one of my outdoorsmen uh, fail stories with you guys this morning. Uh, so back in, in uh, gosh, I guess it was 2013, Brooke and I had just been married, we were still living in Tennessee, and we took the opportunity one spring, us and two of our good friends, to um, go on a little hike. It was springtime in the mountains of East Tennessee, so like, it, uh, what happens a lot is that it's really warm down in like town, down in the city, if you would, city, there's like 50,000 people, so it's not a huge city, but city nonetheless, but when you get up to the mountains where we were going, a lot of times in March when we were there, you, you find that it's like 70 degrees down in town, but when you get up there, sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 40, it really just depends, the weather's kind of crazy, so we took the opportunity, one, it was, it was a beautiful week of spring, um, down in town, we had just finished up with a long week of work, so we said, you know what, it's Friday night, Let's take an opportunity to go on a hike. We were getting ready to move here to New Jersey. um, And we said, you know what? We've always wanted to do this hike from the top of the mountain down to this other place. It was like 10 miles or something. We said, we'll go up that evening and we'll walk about halfway and we'll camp for the night and then we'll finish the rest the next day. And you know how it goes when you think that you're going on a trip. You never get started on time. So we had hoped to be at the trailhead at like 4 in the afternoon which is uh, pretty impressive to do since we didn't get off work till 3.30 and it was like an hour drive. So I didn't know how we were going to make it in the first place. We ended up getting there. Maybe it was like, gosh, what, 6.37? Like it's starting to get dark. Not all the way, but we're supposed to be walking like two hours and we've maybe got 30 minutes of, of light left. So we walk about 30 minutes. We got to stop. It's too dark. We can't see anything. We're still on the top of the mountain and we wanted to get further down because what happens when you're on the top of the mountain is the wind is just terrible. So the wind is rushing in. So we get on the top of the mountain and we find ourselves in this ice storm in the middle of the night. It was, oh, it was terrible. So we had to sleep with like, I'm sleeping with my boots on. I can't even take my boots off because it's so cold. We got the dogs with us in the tent trying to keep us all warm. It was a, a miserable time and really a place where it was just what happened to us was really out of our control. I remember praying that night as the wind was beating against the tent like, God, I'm just trying to wake up tomorrow morning and not be a popsicle. Um, And I think if you've ever been out in the storm, uh, just like just you and the elements, man, it's a really, it's a surreal place to be, to see just the powerful forces of nature at work in front of your eyes. And today, and when we look at Mark's record of Jesus's life, I think we find the disciples in a similar situation. They find themselves in a boat, They're out on the water, and they are face-to-face with this raging storm. I'll give you a little background before we get going. Don't forget, the disciples, they are are experienced. Like, half of them, at least, are these experienced fishermen. This has been their job before Jesus called them out of that to follow him. So when Jesus says, like, yo, let's go to the other side, the disciples are probably thinking, like, okay, no problem, Jesus. Like, we can do that easy. It's just, part, it's just a part of their daily rhythms, if you will. They get in the boat, and these boats are, they're about 27 feet long, experts would say. So they're not, they're not little boats. We're not talking like those little boats you see on the ponds in the Poconos. These aren't rowboats. These are what you would call the commercial fishing vessels of the day. And scholars say that the common type would be able to hold about 15 people. So you've got Jesus, the disciples, they got 13 people in there. Really, they got some room for two more if anybody wants to take this journey with them to the other side. So they get Jesus in, they pull up the anchor, they set the sails, and they push off. And it's getting evening, so I'm sure after this long day of ministry and working and being around the crowds, man, they're getting tired. They've probably got one person 
on watch. Jesus is asleep. It says he's asleep on a cushion. Um, so we're talking like that good kind of sleep. He is chilling. He's good, tired on the front of the boat. Basically, the disciples, everybody's on cruise control. You've been there, right? Like life is going swimmingly. You're just cruising through the rhythms of life. Your boss just bought you coffee into work. Your kids are doing well in school. That vacation that you took was a vacation. It wasn't like a trip with your kids. You know, it was like an actual vacation. You are rested. Your to-do list is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then bang, this great windstorm comes out of nowhere. This mega storm is what they call it. Think like in our terms, think of like a nor'easter. You know, like action news would have been on the scene. They love to talk about a good nor'easter. They'd have been down there with their cameras like, yo, Jesus, what do you think about these wind and the waves? They would have been first on the scene. Um, so, so the way that, is, that it happens here on this sea that they're at, this cold air funnels down the slopes of Mount Hermon, which is the mountain there, and it gains speed as it descends. It descends down the valley, and then it collides with the warmer air at the basin of the lake. And this collision, it creates a violent turbulence that begins to whip up and swirl the waters, and it causes the sea to, to convulse into this foamy cauldron. These colossal waves are cresting. They're cascading across the bows of the fishermen, unlucky enough to be caught in their might. And then the waves, they go back and forth across this relatively small seascape, and they hit the shore, and they head back out, and they crash back into each other in the sea. It really just becomes a whirlpool, like a washing machine on a spin cycle. The word that they used to describe this kind of storm was seismos megas, seismos, like the word that we get earthquake from. So when we're thinking about this storm, like it's not this kind of run-of-the-mill afternoon thunderstorm that happens in the evenings. This is an earthquake storm, if you will. But before we we dive all the way into our text this morning, I want to take just a second and talk about storms, storms for a second, not, you know, meteorological storms, but storms in our life, not thunderstorms, storms in our life. And three things about storms that I want to look at this morning There are three facts, if you will, that I think will be helpful for us. Fact one, uh, storms are unpredictable. They're unpredictable. They're like accidents. You can't plan for them. Meteorology, it seems, is the only job where you get paid to show up and be wrong half the time, right? (laughs) Like, sorry to any of our meteorology friends in the audience or online, but like, am am I wrong? Like, you get paid, you show up half the time, you're wrong. So storms, they're unpredictable. They're, they're kind of like accidents. You can't plan for them. I think of Judah. He, my son, he loves to just not listen when he's about to hurt himself. He doesn't think that accidents are going to happen to him. He's jumping on the bed, and he's like, don't worry, Dad. I won't fall off. And I'm like, but son, we've read Five Little Monkeys so many times. It seems like you're doomed to fall off the bed and bump your head. But he thinks there's no way that he could have an accident, that something unpredictable could happen to him. Um, when, he's, when he's riding his bicycle, man, I don't need a helmet. I'm not going to crash, he tells me. I said, well, that's why you need a bicycle. So that when you do inevitably crash, you can have planned for it. The Mayhem guy from the Allstate commercials, like, it, it shows up at random. And ha- however, what we can control, even though we can't control the storms in our lives and when they come, what we can control is how we respond to them when the storms come. Some of us, we've experienced some bad storms in our past, Right? And at the first sight of dark clouds, we run for the hills. We're worried that a flood is coming again. 
We felt the sear of lightning strikes in our lives. That routine physical that just went a little south. Your company moved out of state. Your job starts laying off and, and, and you're the one that gets cut. Sudden loss of a loved one. In this life, we will have trouble. That's a promise. Storms, they're a, they're a part of life. They come and they go. The question is, how will you respond when they come? Do we lean on the everlasting one, casting our cares on him, or are we more like the disciples here in Mark? Throwing Jesus under the bus at the first sign of trouble. Jesus, you must not care about me. The storms are coming. I've got, I've got more to say about that. I'll say, I'll say more about it later. Fact number two I want to talk about, though. Um, fact two, storms are amoral. Storms are amoral. They are indifferent to you. They don't care how good or how bad you are. They don't care what you did yesterday or, for that matter, what you're going to do tomorrow. The sun rises on the evil and the good. God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It rains on the just and the unjust. Storms, church, they're unconcerned with the moral character of those who they unleash their power on. Like sometimes, sure, the Lord disciplines. He disciplines those that he loves. But, and we all receive the blessing of sunshine, like evil and the good, deserving and the not. But when we talk about storms... Oftentimes, storms, man, they're just part of living in a broken world. And many of us, we struggle with the notion of of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? We find ourselves not being able to reconcile the storms, that, that we haven't done anything to create, that we haven't done anything to precipitate the precipitation in our lives. Why me, God? That's our posture, right? If he if he hasn't already done so much for us. And with this kind of attitude, honestly, if we're honest, really we all just believe in karma a lot of times, right? Like we wouldn't say it, but if we're honest, we've done these good things, so good things must happen to me. That's our posture. Our trust in God falls short. Oftentimes we find ourselves trusting his goodness if he isn't always being good to us. We, We find ourselves not trusting his goodness if he isn't always being good to us, if we aren't the center of his universe. God, I've served you on the dream team. God, I've given my finances to your kingdom. God, I've sacrificed my comfortability, my family's preferences. God, I've been generous with my talents, with my time, with my treasure. And oftentimes, we find ourselves only praying to God when we've decided that he should bless us. Sometimes, oftentimes, we are in a storm because the world is broken. Let's look at Job. We find Job in the Old Testament. He's covered in boils. His wealth has been stolen away. His workforce has evaporated. This great windstorm comes across the plains and it hits the four corners of his oldest son's house and it kills all the children of of Job that had gathered there inside when the house collapses. And you say, man... Job must have had it coming. Like, what did he do to deserve all that has just happened to him? But if you look before all that happens, God himself has described Job as perfect and upright. One who feared God and shunned evil. Storms are amoral, 
more often than not. Don't find yourself drawing lines, connecting things that God hasn't connected. Don't find yourself drawing those lines. Third, third thing about storms I want to talk about this morning. Storms are revealing. Storms wash away. When the rain and the waves and the flood comes, it washes away so much. And what's left are just the foundations, the bare boards, the, the bare bones of what you have. And what will you find in your life when the storms come? Will you find that you've built your house on sand or on the firm foundation that's Christ? And now, if you've built your foundation on, the, on, on Jesus, don't worry, storms will still reveal something in your life. I'm here to tell you this morning that prior to the storm, if we had asked the disciples, if we had polled them on whether or not they had faith in Jesus, probably they would have said yes. They would have said before the storms comes, like, yes, I've got faith in this, in this teacher. Yeah, he's great. I'm in the boat with him. I gave up my job to follow him into this. But storms make us honest, don't they? We find what we really believe about God when the storm comes, when we go through something difficult, not when, not when our jobs are great, not when things are going our way, when it's blue skies and sunshine, but when God is answering our prayers the exact way that we thought he would. That's not when we find out what we believe about God. It's when the storm comes and the fear sets in. Let's talk about fear. For a quick second, one scholar, I like how he builds this equation out. Write this down, it's good. It says, situation plus self plus God equals fear. Situation, the size of the situation. Let's get the facts. What are we facing? Is it something big? Something small? Self? My perceived ability or my inability to handle the current situation? And and add to that God. Who I believe that God is? What do I think God is doing? Am I judging God based on this current moment or the fullness of who He is, who He has been to me? Am I remembering what God has already done? And the result of that question changes a lot if we're honest, right? Sometimes it's hope and courage when we add all that up. And other times we find ourselves, like in Mark 4 with the disciples, it becomes fear and doubt. Either because we have thought too less of God or we have really hyped up ourselves or we've increased the size of the situation. A lot of times we play the, the what-if game in our life. I, it's one of the things that I love to do with situations, play the what-if game. Really, I need to repent about it a lot more. Um, so like, okay, so okay, if this happens, then I can do this. And so if that happens, well, then I need to call so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I should stack some money away so that just in case that goes down, like, don't worry, God. Yeah, I've got faith in you. But just in case you don't show up, I've built my own nice little backup plan. And storms expose those. They are revealing in our lives, revealing the actual objects of our faith. Maybe instead of Jesus, the actual object of our faith is the job security that we have. The money that we've put away, the the family dynamic that we've created. Or do we find ourselves just following Jesus for the benefits package that comes along with it? Like, who have we decided Jesus is? Plan A, but then we've got plan B, C, D, E through Z covered. I think we find the disciples here in Mark, they're not quite sure who Jesus is either. The windstorm comes, the wind is blowing The waves are all over the place. The boat is starting to fill up. And man, the disciples, they're freaking out. 
and you know how we know this. Uh, if you look in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, all three of them, they record this event. But if you read it, the disciples are all recorded saying these different things. Some say master, master. Some say Lord. Some say teacher. And what we've got here isn't a scriptural inaccuracy. What it is, is it is pandemonium. Like, they're, ca- they're calling out to Jesus with every name in the book, like, yo, yo, it's getting bad over here. Jesus, they desperately want his attention. So they run over to the stern of the boat, yelling, man, they're yelling all types of things and names and titles at him, Jesus, master, teacher, Lord, do not care that we are going to die. The storm is, reve- this, this storm here in Mark is the revealing type. Not only does it reveal that the disciples lack faith in Jesus, but God also uses it to reveal something to them about this Jesus that's with them in the boat. Master, teacher, Lord, who is this Jesus in the boat with them? I'll give you an example here. You guys ready for some art class this morning? Art class. Art class with Pastor Jacob. Anamorphic art. Uh, Maybe you've seen it before. It's this super cool technique where... you take this distorted view of something, um, and the picture, when you look at it from a normal viewpoint, it looks, you don't see what you're supposed to be looking at. Yeah. But if you view it in the right way, all of a sudden, with like a mirror or the right angle, the distortion disappears and the picture appears normal. Yeah. So look at the screen here with me. You got this picture on the screen. Um, and you can pretty much describe everything that's on there, right? Like you don't think you're missing anything important. You've got like this little sun thing in the middle, some mount. I'm not really an art critic, if you might have guessed. Don't laugh at me. Uh, you've got these two people down here on the bottom, these two guys hanging out. They're looking, I guess, at the sun. I don't really know. Some rocks on the side. Like you, said, like you wouldn't miss anything, right? If I asked you to describe this picture, all the characteristics, you'd probably be able to hit all the major characteristics, if you will, right? And the disciples here in Mark, they think, before the storm comes, they think they have a whole picture of who Jesus is. Like, they think they've got a good handle on the characteristics of this man who they call teacher here in Mark. Derek, you can go ahead and throw the the second picture up there for me. If you see, pretty cool, huh? Like, maybe there's something that they were missing. On a deeper note, now if you knew you needed a mirror, you could have thrown that up there to start with, right? Like, you say, ah, that's not a sun, Pastor Jacob. That's where the mirror goes, this little curved mirror. And then you can see that there's a man's face in this art picture, and that's really the object that we're supposed to be looking at. Now, if you had known that you needed a mirror, maybe you could have just thrown that on there to start with. But maybe you've been going through life not knowing that little bit of information. Maybe, Maybe come to find out, contrary to what you believe, what we would like to tell ourselves, we don't know everything about everything. We, we can't Google search, TED Talk, YouTube ourselves to this omniscient state, this state of all-knowingness. We need others to speak into our lives to help show us things that we can't see, to help hold mirrors up to our blind spots, to help us see the things that we maybe didn't even realize existed. And if that's you, why don't you do me a favor and join a crew this morning? This is my uh, shame-free push for crews. Man, join a crew. They're live next week. They're starting. Do yourself a favor. Find the blind spots in your life. Sorry, got a little excited about crews. Back to Mark. Um, I think the disciples had missed something also. They saw something on the surface, but they didn't see the whole picture of who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? That's the point of this story. 
The point of Mark 4 isn't about the storms in our lives. Although we can and we have found some, some helpful insights into those storms and how they can relate to us, the focus of the passage today is on Jesus and who he is. It's not about Jesus wanting to calm the storms in our lives. We are not the center of this story. The disciples, they were looking at a distorted view of Jesus. Teacher, they call him, and really, the person they had in the boat with them was God incarnate. The God-man, the one who speaks to the wind and the waves, and they obey. Mark's writing, he's writing the oldest and the shortest biography of Jesus. It, it really, it reads like an action movie. Mark loves to use the word immediately and throw in all these details for us, like time of day, evening, passengers. We have 13 passengers. There are these other boats on the sea with them. Jesus is asleep in the boat on a cushion. All of these details Mark is adding to the story to show us that it really happened. Yeah. That it did. And if it did, if this story happened, then Jesus is everything he said he is. And that's what Mark is trying to communicate to us this morning. They call Jesus teacher. And it reminded me when I was reading that of this great C.S. Lewis quote. He says, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is God this morning, church. That's what I'm here to try to remind you about the second person of the Trinity. And Mark has recorded this event as one of the ways to try to communicate that to us because only God has the power to control the wind and the waves and the sea. John, John 1.1 says Christ was at the beginning with God and that all things were made through him. So if Jesus has the power to create, then surely he has the power to control. Who is this who is this Jesus in the boat with them? Psalms 89.9 says, You rule the, waging, the raging sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. Yeah. Hebrews remind us in chapter 1 that God's Son is appointed heir of all things. Yeah. Verse 3 says, He is sustaining all things by the power of His Word. Yeah. In Colossians, it says, He is the creator and sustainer of all things. In this moment, on the boat, in the waves, in the middle of the storm, the disciples get a glimpse of this side of Jesus, God incarnate, God with us. And if Jesus is Lord, then we can put our faith in Him. The point of this text isn't to focus on the storm, but to point us to who Jesus is. The wind and the waves obey, so we can put our trust in Him. And it doesn't say in Mark just how long it took Jesus to rebuke the wind and, and the ocean and the sea there. I mean, we can assume it wasn't, you know, 15 minutes, like he's not standing up assessing the situation, seeing how much water's in the boat. But what I can imagine is that for however long it took, for however many moments it took Jesus to make his way from where he was sleeping to where he speaks to the storm, it must have felt like an eternity to the disciples. I mean, he was asleep. Like good sleep, on a cushion. So as he wakes up, he's probably got to wipe the sleep out of his eyes. And maybe he had to stretch his arms a little bit, wade through the water that was already sloshing around in the boat, and looking at the terrified faces of these seasoned fishermen who were before him. Wow. And he wades through it, he finds his voice, he clears his throat, and just like that, it's over. Yeah. A great calm 
the verse says. The storm retreats back to a corner like a scolded dog that just knocked over your favorite lamp. Like, Jesus is a master commanding his servant here, like a parent scolding a toddler. The ruler, the Lord creator, the one through whom all things exist, the elements have to obey Jesus. They have no other option. Be silent, he says, and if you look at that, the literal translation of that says, you have been muzzled. He's muzzling the elements, ultimate control over something, ultimate authority over the wind and over the waves in that moment, authority to change the outcome, the facts of the situation. The one who has authority in general has power to change outcomes, right? We look at like NBA officials, like they have the authority to change the trajectory of a game with a blow of their whistle, right? And the final say in corporate America isn't with the CEO, but with the board of directors. It's not the the student who writes the grade, it's the teacher who gives the grade. The one who has authority has the power to change the outcomes. So how foolish do our fears seem when we have this one with us with this type of authority? Situation plus self plus God equals what? He asked those in the boat with him, why are you afraid? Do Do you have no faith? If Jesus is Lord over creation, he can handle anything and everything in our lives, all situations and all circumstances. Jesus the Christ has say over everything that happens in our lives. He is the ultimate authority. Now you might say, okay, cool, like that sounds all good, but how am I going to practically work this out in my life? How am I, when the unexpected storm comes, how am I going to change my posture? How am I going to change the way that I view situations? How am I going to change what I think about myself? How am I going to remind myself who God is? Remembering the goodness of God, reflecting on His goodness, how He's been good to us when the storms have come in the past. I would encourage you, dive into that journal. If you've not been journaling, Maybe start journaling so that when the storms come, you can look back over the times that, that, that when the devil thought that he had won, God had a bigger picture in mind. And you can go back and you can look at that time that you wrote that down. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you see three days later that God worked it out. Dive into that journal. Dive into, into Psalms, into Job, into Paul's letters, and look how God has provided for his people over the course of all of human history. Look how he's provided for us over the course of our lives, when our faith is fickle, when our faith is faltering, remembering that God doesn't falter on us. He says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not a man that he should lie. Man, you guys remember that story of, of Jonah? How he too was out in a boat, tossed by the seas, Jonah realizes in that moment that for the storm to calm, he's got to throw himself into it. For those in the boat with him to be safe, Jonah has to fling himself into the sea. And not long after this, in Mark, we find Jesus, and he's facing another storm. He calmed the last one with his words. But the next storm that he faces is a little different. He finds himself 
in front of the storm of the wrath of God. And he knows that the only way for for peace to come, that the only way for you and, and I to have peace with God was for him to give his life away. So that in doing so, that, that life could be given to us. So, so Jesus, he flings himself into the storm of, of God's wrath. So that you and I wouldn't have to face it. Thank you, God, for revealing that to us today. And God, as we come before you, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe there's some here in this place this morning that we don't, we've never heard about that Jesus who, who threw himself into the storm so that we could be made whole with God. The storms in our life, they seem big. And we seem woefully unable to deal with those situations that we've been dealing with. And our view of God this morning is small. We're not even sure if there is one. But if you're here today, I want to encourage you that there is a God. And that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So that that situation that's too big for us to handle, the distance between us and God, the the debt that could never be paid, Jesus came to pay it all for us. So that we could find peace with God. And maybe that's you this morning and you're realizing that. We'd love to, to connect with you. We'd love to have the opportunity to share more with you about Jesus. You can simply take that connect card that's there in the seat by you. And you can fill that out on the back with your concerns, with your worries, with your struggles. Maybe you've been far from God for some time and you're coming back this morning to give the church another chance. It seemed that those situations were were too big for God in the past and you're saying, you know what? I'm back, I'm going to give him another opportunity. Man, we're so thankful that you're here. We'd love to to pray with you, to encourage you, to share with you some of the ways that, that God has been good to us to try to remind you of his goodness. We're so, we would love to connect with you. You can do the same with that connect card. You could slip your hand in the air. Our connect team, our hospitality team would love to connect with you, to share with you more about the mission and vision here at Accelerate Church and how you can get connected and take those next steps in in following that God that maybe you had given up on, but that hadn't given up on you. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for for who you are in the midst of the storms in our life when we like to think that they are too big and we like to think that we are much stronger than we are, Lord. We know that you have always been there, sometimes maybe even giggling at at how big and bad we think we are or how extreme we think the storms are. You say, son, daughter, don't worry. I'm here for you. I love you. I care for you. I'm, I'm with you in the storm. So God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence in this place. Would you bless the remainder of our day? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.